being flexible and, and being able to change your, your farm plan, um, you know, mid year, it, you gotta be able to do that. You gotta be on the balls of your, your feet ready for whatever nature sends at you. In this episode of Voices from the Field, two agriculture specialists who work out of NCAT's headquarters in Butte, Montana, talk about responding to the unexpectedly dry and hot conditions of this year's growing season. NCAT's small-scale intensive farm training program, also known as SIFT, operates a high-altitude urban demonstration farm in Butte. Farm manager John Wallace and NCAT Rocky Mountain West Regional Director Andrew Coggins give an update on the changes in crops, pest management, and growing strategies the season brought, and their efforts to work with, not against, the changes. Let's listen. Good afternoon, everybody. Uh, my name is Andrew Coggins, and I'm the Regional Director for the Rocky Mountain West Region of NCAT, the National Centre for Appropriate Technology. And today I'll be talking to John Wallace, who is the SIF farm manager here, and also a sustainable ag specialist. And today uh, we'll be talking about the SIF farm, um, building biodiversity and pest management uh, in 2021. So good afternoon, John. Good afternoon, Andrew. So lots of questions for you, but uh, let's start from the beginning. Um, how is this growing season different from all the others or different from other growing seasons? Well, you know, it's, it's been an interesting year. Um, I wouldn't say it's far out of the bounds of what is statistically normal for here, but we've incurred quite a drought this year. Um, the whole Northwest has been under a drought since at least June. We had low snowpack, which is our main source of, you know, loading water into the, the system. And everything has been hot and dry. I mean, probably one of the worst fire seasons I've seen this year. And so what we've been working with is from, you know, maybe an average uh, rainfall in Butte, which is 12, 12 and a half inches of rainfall. Mm -hmm. uh, we're looking at about three inches so far, you know, well into the middle of August. And so we're way behind the mark. And that's caused a few problems um, as far as what types of plants we grow. And the heat as well has kind of changed a little bit of whether we do cold season crops versus warm season crops. And, you know, typically we get about three months of growing season. And this has extensively gone into the hot part of the summer from the beginning of May into June. So we're working on supplying enough irrigation to our crops. And then as well, we've had a lot of different pests show up. Um, something that we don't normally incur. So, you know, for instance, ground squirrels, um, you know, they're digging around across our entire plot, especially on the north side, and they've been infiltrating and eating all of the greens. Uh, we've had cabbage moth. Um, that's something that's been destroying our brassicas. So our cabbage, our broccoli, our cauliflower, our kale, it really just decimating everything. We've also had a big incurve flea beetles, thrips and aphids, and as well, we're dealing with some fungal disease. And these are all things that have been kind of just building up over the last few years. And while these things might be normal on a, in maybe wet season climates. This is something that's been starting to take over our farm um, 
this year and it, it's it's uh, damaged quite a bit of our yield. So we've kind of had to make different measures of how to change certain things. So for instance, um, you know, you know, the ground squirrels came in and I spent a lot of my time trying to trap flood holes, do anything I could to mitigate the damage from the ground squirrels. And, you know, it's time consuming. And when you learn to try to work with nature, you realize that when you fight nature, it becomes very expensive, very time consuming. And yes, we're losing some crop, but in the end, I really feel like there's a silver lining to this whole issue. And that's the fact that we're providing quite the ecosystem for things to live and thrive on, uh, where in a drought year, they really have nowhere else to go. That's great. Well, it's very informative. Not necessarily great in all ways, but uh, very informative, John. Thanks. And as you say, it's been such an unusual year. Um, the pests and the predators all seem to have come at once. So what have we actually done to uh, mitigate the pest damage to your crop? Well, as I said with the ground squirrels, that's a constant battle. Uh, you can try and do everything you want, but when you're fighting nature, it's time consuming and it's expensive. And so I've kind of put a hold on that. I tried to put physical barriers around certain crops, especially my brassicas and my leafy greens. But honestly, we really just had to wait for nature to do its course. And I think that's the big lesson to be learned about biodiversity on a farm is sometimes there's a paradox when you're doing things right you will create an ecosystem for those things to come in. And so while I spent a lot of my time early season trying to battle ground squirrels, soon enough, a fox came in. And soon enough, a mountain lion has been around. So I, I do see a transition of where if a predator becomes a problem and it's outgrown its population, then there are ways for nature to kind of fix itself and ever since the fox came in I, I don't know if he's just digging around dig around the squirrel holes but he has essentially pushed them away from um, accessing our crops so that's yeah. been a positive thing when it comes to cabbage moss uh, we've been working with uh, you know creating enough you know berries and you know other types of feed for birds and so the birds have been coming in and eating some of the moss i've even seen a, a western tanager which is a incredible bird that travels from uh, south america or well mexico central america all the way up to montana and canada and it's a bright yellow bird with a red head and it it has been traveling across here and so by attracting these types of migratory birds they're helping eat some of the the insects that we are having trouble with. I mean, uh, some of the other things that we've been dealing with are flea beetle, thrips, and aphids. I mean, those are pretty typical for around here. I typically grow a lot of cold season crops, uh, brassicas, and so, you know, the cabbage moth, the flea beetle, thrips, uh, aphids, they can all really attack those plants. So what we've been doing is essentially limiting the amount that we grow. It's a hard decision because when you only have three months to grow, then you really have to decide, you know, what's your best bang for your buck at that, that time. And we've kind of shied away from some of these leafy greens because they haven't been doing so well. And the warm season crops like tomatillos, tomatoes, squash, beans uh, have all been a really big 
really well producing, I, I should say, uh, for this year when usually we kind of struggle a little bit. I mean, we're talking about an ecosystem where the temperature drops, you know, below 50 typically at night and then can be up into the 80s, 90s during the day. But we've been well into the 90s, um, even hitting close to triple digits, even in Butte. So working with that, we've kind of transitioned a little bit more towards these types of warm season crops, and it's kind of changed our management plan a little bit. Uh, We've also had a big issue with fungal diseases. So uh, falarium, septoria leaf spot, um, rust, we're really trying to work with those and figure out how to mitigate that. One way to do it, uh, especially from an organic standpoint, is to use a copper or a sulfur soap fungicide. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're in Butte, Montana. We're known for copper. We have a lot of copper in the soil. Uh, it's been mined around here for, for centuries. And so uh, when you have an option and you start looking at your soil tests, you start to figure out a management plan of whether you can increase or decrease the levels of these said metals in the soil. And so when we look at copper uh, and we know that we're in a copper rich area, we're starting to look towards sulfur fungicides. Uh, these, are, these are organic, um, can be used in organic um, operations. And so we make sure that it kind of follows a little bit of the NOP standards. Uh, and we will work on essentially seeing if any of these copper fungicides or sulfur fungicides increase the matter as we do our soil tests. Uh, One of the rules with the organic standards is that you can use these things as long as you're not increasing the load of these in the soil. So Mm -hmm. knowing that it's copper rich, we might as well shy back from something like a copper fungicide uh, and rather maybe focus on a sulfur fungicide. Uh, Number one is removing disease plant in working on crop rotation. So it's always our first goal. Insecticide and fungicide is always a last ditch effort. So we only use that if we absolutely have to. And when we see uh, really bad crop loss, that's when we, we start to pull in some of these tools to, to manage those pests. Yeah. Uh, another thing that we've been working on is putting out signal plants and that's kind of my own term, but I like to explain that a little bit. A signal plant to me is, you know, a perennial or an annual, um, but measuring year to year when they flower, when they fruit and seeing how that season changes. We only have three months to really grow some of these summer crops that can't take a frost. So what we're looking at is uh, how did the perennial flower? Did it fruit early? Uh, For instance, our, we have a couple different fruit bushes in a row or in a, in a windrow and the currants this year came about three weeks earlier than they did last year. And so it really depends. We have, we have a really wide range of a season. So just because we have three months frost free, it really depends on what happened the winter before. And we happen to have a really dry winter and then it got really cold. And essentially what happens in that situation is you freeze, freeze dry your plants. So any, any uh, plant going on in Montana, uh, whether it be winter wheat or a perennial uh, fruit tree uh, really got freeze dried and it got affected down into the root. The, 
the soil temperature dropped significantly compared to what it usually does and therefore had to recover because of our lack of snow cover, which insulates. So, you know, that's, that's a signal plant to me. There's also other types of plants, you know, whether it's an annual, it might be a bean that uh, decides to fruit at a certain time. I keep track of all those. And what I found is that the early season plants were late, the warm season plants were early, and then the fruiting bushes and the perennials were essentially early, but low yielding. And uh, I think that's pretty significant to other farmers I've talked about, talked to, talked to in the region and things like that. So that's, uh, that's one way. The, the other way I, is I look at my, my annual flowers, because if I'm trying to create a pollinator habitat across an entire season, then what I need to do is make sure that there's something flowering from oh, June till September. And so I work with different types of flowers and try to see exactly when they'll flower. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for this year, say sunflower, moonflower, hollyhocks, and poppies, uh, we're, we're pushing late. Uh, it's pretty much the beginning of August till they even started. So we needed to create some sort of pollinator habitat inside the farm that can support bee habitat and what we found this year, it's quite ironic, but uh, knapweed. I, kn- I know it's a noxious weed, but uh, if you look around during a drought uh, across the entire landscape, the only thing flowering up until the beginning of August was knapweed. And it may have been a lifesaver for, for all the types of plants that I need for pollinating, such as tomatillos, squash, beans, I mean, it's, it's really been a lifesaver for us. So I always look, where are the bees humming around? Um, ornamental sage, sages in, in general, th- those flowered early. So things like that, I wanna choose for my early season flowers. I want a mid season flower and I want a late season flower. And for an all around flower uh, for late season, uh, Facelia has been really great. We use a lot mm-hmm. of that in our cover crops. Uh, they really bring the bees in. And as long as you keep them watered, they're, they kind of flower throughout the season. So it's, it's a really big uh, tool that we use for promoting pollinator habitat. Well, thanks, John, for that information. There's a lot to take in there, certainly on integrated um, pest management and certainly in this unusual year. Um, and I like uh, what you said as well about adapting to the ecosystem and the environment rather than trying to alter different parts of the ecosystem um, to achieve the results. So given all this, given this year's impact uh, from weather and pests, how's it affected your overall production plan, do you think? Well, right now, I'll be honest, I, I have lost a lot of the crops that, you know, greens and brassicas, uh, that first they were munched down by the ground squirrels, then the cabbage moth came in. I use a management plan with spinosad. Um, it's an organic insecticide that is approved for organic use. And right. so we use that mainly to combat the cabbage moth. And then once things started to get established, I started to notice, you know, kind of what we talk about in the soil health world is really seeing that real good waxy green color, the dark color of the leaf. And it, it's, it's protects from all these things. So what we're trying to do is, is basically get these plants to the stage where they can fight for themselves. Yeah. It's really happened. Things have started to take off. 
uh, like I said, the ground squirrels kind of disappeared after the fox came and chased them out. Uh, we really haven't had as much cabbage moth since I sprayed uh, with spinosad, uh, but I don't like to overspray. And so I stopped and they're still there, but they're not overtaking the crop. Uh, we're getting more birds um, that can come in and kind of help take care of that. Chickens is a good one too, by the way. Right. Let the chicken, when I've seen an infected crop, I'll take those plants and I'll give it to the chickens and they'll, they'll eat all that up. That's extra protein for them. Pest management for me, more eggs. So it's a win-win situation. And, you know, now I'm starting to see things like ladybugs, predatory wasps, uh, and beneficial nematodes that can help kind of take care of these things like the flea beetles, the thrips and the aphids. Um, and then as far as the, you know, fungal disease, really we're going to have to focus really hard on intensive cover cropping for disease management and also uh, some good crop rotation to make sure that those things don't spur up. We don't ever put the same type of plant in the same place where there was an issue before. So, and, right. Yeah. And that will be because of disease transfer, presumably, John. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, okay. that's one of our biggest things. Fungal diseases can be uh, very strong and hard to, to combat. So uh, crop rotation is going to be crucial for our, our job going forward. But I'd like to say, I mean, with all these types of things going on, uh, this is the building of an ecosystem to create biodiversity. I mean, these pests wouldn't be here if we weren't doing what we were doing. And so that's part of organic inspection 101 is to really understand are you providing biodiversity? Are you increasing biodiversity? Are you regenerating biodiversity? Whether it be soil life, soil cover, water, nest and shelter features, flowering plants, native plants, plant structure and competi competition, and corridors. So can your animals get through? I mean, if, if we had big walls and fences across everything, then we would be keeping out the predator that's causing the pest. And it's significant in, you know, our indoor greenhouse production that's where we get aphids and that's a really hard one to fight for me because i can't include that pest management by having the whole network and triangle of what is in a food system so i don't see a lot of ladybugs in my greenhouse because i essentially am locking them out and so that's that's been one of the biggest issues is is actually working with those pests within a greenhouse but otherwise you know i i really work on the um the flaggers uh flaggers to me are you know like like the guy at the airport who's you know waving his signs telling the airplane where to go that to me i i put at the entrance of all my greenhouses and hoop houses as many flowers as possible to invite pollinators and bugs and everything into there so yeah um so that's the, those are my two the, the the signal plants to understand where we're going with the season and the flaggers to bring them in and so with that that's kind of been my management plan and then as well being flexible is a big one uh, for instance we had a lack of greens early on due to said pests uh, we've had to ha make irrigation adjustments specifically to the drought and then even though we've had lower yields to date and I, I think as of today we're about 200 pounds less than we 
produced last year. And mm-hmm. mainly that comes into, and we're talking about a 1200 uh, pound goal. So we're sitting at about 400 pounds. And this time last year, we were close to 600 pounds, but we were growing different vegetables and I had to change my management plan in a way that, you know, I can't just grow the greens that are going to get eaten and are getting pest ridden. I need to change and start growing more warm season crops, which I don't typically do as many of, uh, but with this drought and with how hot it's been the entire summer, I'm doing really well with things like tomatoes, tomatitos, squash, beans. Um, we got cucumbers, melons, uh, all these types of crops that we've been growing. Basil's been a good one too this year, which I usually struggle with. They have all surpassed what I've done in the you know in the past year. So being flexible and being able to see what's affecting your crop and being able to change that has allowed me to mitigate risk first off um, and then also figure out exactly what's doing well with the soil at, at its current state so we're going to have a lot more tomatoes tomatillos all those things i said and those yeah. are are warm season crops and they're just now starting to fruit and the tomatoes are just now mm-hmm. starting to ripen so it's looking like we might surpass our goal but with a different type of crop at a different time of the year. Usually I try to, over the 16 peak weeks of production, I try to manage it so that we have a constant production of all kinds of different things. And while we fell short in the middle of the season, we're finally catching up. And I think that we might even surpass this with uh, the luck of our warm season crops, so. Excellent. Well, thank you very much, John. There's a lot of information there you've given us on um, integrated pest management and the unusual year. Of course, we've had not just in Butte, but all over Montana and really in many parts of the world too. Um, I think one of the take-homes I've got from what you said is certainly um, you're very much an advocate, and I agree with you, of an integrated and self-supporting ecosystem. And that would be the aim over the time for the system, I guess, to take care of itself. My words to anybody out there who um, is especially trying to build a farm, this is part of it. You can't, you can't get down over the loss of yield due to certain pests because the truth is you're doing something right. You're doing something that can provide food for the ecosystem. It's going to come in. And then what you need to do is just work with it and help it bounce the system out. And so there's little things you can do, but if you just try to spend your time fighting it and trying to get rid of the enemy, which I disagree, right, enemy, yeah. you are going to waste way too much of your time and a lot of energy and resources. And what you need to do is maybe try to figure out how to work with the ecosystem from year to year and sure. being, being flexible and, and being able to change your, your farm plan, um, you know, mid year, it, you got to be able to do that. You got to be on the balls of your, your feet, ready for whatever nature sends at you. So I hope that's useful for, for our listeners and everything. I hope, I hope so too. I'm sure it will be. And I guess really as a last, as a last thought, John, people just have to be aware that they have to be patient as ecosystems build up. It just takes a bit of time. Absolutely. And, you know, I've, I feel like I've had to, give an explanation of how I deal with these pest management problems in the past. And I didn't have a lot of these problems. So I I wasn't 
as a useful resource, but as I get flooded with all these issues, it's, it's not a bad thing. It's, it, you're doing something right. And so, you know, if you can work with it and have a or, good organic management plan, then these are just signals that you're doing something right. Well, once again, John, thank you again for all that great information you've just given us. And I wish you all success for the rest of the season. That's it for this episode. Thanks for listening. Additional information about this episode and related resources can be found at atra.incat.org. Don't miss an episode. Subscribe to Voices from the Field wherever you get your podcasts. I'm your host, Rich Myers. ATRA, Voices from the Field, is produced by the National Center for Appropriate Technology, headquartered in Butte, Montana. It's supported by the USDA Rural Business Cooperative Service as part of NCAT's ATRA Sustainable Agriculture Program. Any opinions, findings, conclusions, or recommendations expressed in this recording are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of the USDA or NCAT. We'll catch you again next week, and until then... Keep on farming.